Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Welcome to another episode, our weekly episode. We appreciate you being with us, however you may be joining us, whether that's through CincyJungle.com, through our YouTube channel, or through CincyJungle.com's Facebook page for the live video. Thank you for joining us there. Or if you're unable to join us live, thanks for subscribing to our channels, one of our many other audio channels, and listening to the program. I am Anthony Cazenza, joined as always by... My co-host, John Sheeran, fresh off of his trip to the Senior Bowl. John, how you doing, man? You uh, you got you, you caught up on some rest and everything? Yeah, I definitely needed it. It's, um, it's a week of barbecue and booze that kind of takes it out of you. And I've been a little under the weather, but um, it's 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 been a whirlwind of just this past 10 or so days with everything that's, everything that's been going on with traveling and stuff and then and coming back and kind of recovering. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a crazy... It's been a crazy week and a half right right here in the end of January. Yeah, uh how long is that flight? To to Atlanta it's a, it's an hour and a half and then to, from Atlanta to Mobile it's about an hour, but it actually um going to Mobile you go back in time so it's only like 16 minutes cuz it's going into the central time zone but then you lose like an hour and a half or whatever. So it's like I, I think it would took about 8 total hours for all the airport time and whatnot, but definitely better than driving. So do you it's okay, so you don't drive from Atlanta to Mobile, no, right? No, I mean, no, that no, would be, yeah, that would that would be a that would be a long. The whole world connects through Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, Brian Brian Kramer's already asking you how many Reese's cups did John have at the Senior Bowl? Um, hopefully, you had a lot. Not not as much as I wanted to, honestly. <laughs> I, was, I was too nervous. I was too nervous most of the time when talking to people in the hotel to like stuff my face with chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a lot to get to tonight. Um, we are going to talk about John's going to tell us a little bit about the senior bowl, just the last day or so that he was there since we took the air with him last week. Um, we're going to talk about some free agency, uh, some free agency possibilities for the Cincinnati Bengals. And we are going to do our first mock draft of the, the season, the off season, the senior bowl is behind us. The NFLPA bowl is behind us. Next step is the combine, then of, of course other things coming up, pro days and whatnot. So we felt that with some gauge of what the Bengals are doing, obviously that interview with Duke Tobin that John was a part of uh, opened us, opened some eyes for us and gave us some ideas. So we feel that this is a good time to unveil a first mock draft. We'll get into the the confines and all kinds of stuff that we will be working within for that mock draft, but we will be doing that towards the end of the program. John, before we kind of dive into all stuff Bengals, I guess we would be remiss if we did not bring up uh, the the tragic incident of Kobe Bryant and the eight other members of the that were on the helicopter that crashed on. Uh, gosh, what was that? Was that Monday? Um, Sunday. Sunday. Excuse me. Yeah, 
Uh, it's yeah, it's it's like you said, it's been a whirlwind past couple of days. It's hard to kind of track which days are which, but very sad news. Um, I, I've got some thoughts personally because you know this is these are local people to where I live, and obviously a, a an LA player, but just. If, if you have some reflections, I know you're quite a bit younger than I am of Kobe Bryant. You saw kind of the second half, the later part of his career. I, I don't know if you wanted to just reflect on on him and his passing for a minute. Um, I feel like we would be remiss if we did not mention something about Kobe Bryant and the rest of the fallen passengers on that helicopter. No, I mean, we're a football podcast, but Kobe transcends more than basketball. He, he had incredible influence in the football locker rooms and whatnot, but I just think of Ronaldo, Messi, Tiger, LeBron, Kobe. These are names that weren't just stars in their own respective countries and their own respective sports. These were global sports icons. And to see that one of them just died so suddenly in such a tragic event, it was one of the most surreal moments of of my lifetime. I know that Michael Jackson passed 10 years ago. Prince passed away not so long ago. But in, in just the sports world, this this type of death, this tragic, shocking event, it, it, it's I don't know if it's unprecedented, but definitely in my generation, it just it just feels that way. And I just I didn't really know how to react to it and how to kind of digest it all because he's just one of these these pillars, these global icons that every, everybody who knows anything about sports knows the name Kobe. So the fact that he's not here anymore, it, it was just a surreal feeling to kind of process in a span of 48 hours. And it didn't really feel real until you saw, you know, you know, T-Mac and, and, and Shaq and just Novak Djokovic of all people just talk about him in such a personal way. And it was really just a, a taking back moment. And then, and then really the, like the emotion started pouring out when you realized that his daughter was on that, was on the helicopter, the, the daughter that, you know, took up after him and his mindset as a player who had aspirations of, you know, playing UConn and playing in the WNBA and just seeing the pro- the progress of Kobe, the person to transform, you know, coming out of that Mamba mentality as, as a, as a player to then, you know, really taking charge of the second half of his life as a father, as a coach and somebody who really exemplified all the positives of who he was as a player now into a person and as dad. And it's really sad to see that, you know, that's not going to, it's not going to happen anymore. And, you know, it was just all those emotions kind of really poured out. But of course I'm in the middle of the Midwest, you know, 2000 miles away from LA, you're right outside of Staples Center's backyard. So what has really been, what has really been the reaction there in Southern California? Well, it's, it's crestfallen. Um, And the odd thing is, you know, Kobe Bryant actually lives in Orange County, the area that I'm from just about 20 minutes North in, in the Newport beach area. Um, That's where he lived. That's where his family was. And, uh, so, I mean, it's it's not only an L.A. thing, it's impacting Orange County people. The other folks that were on the helicopter with him, the head coach at Orange Coast College, that's in Costa Mesa, California, which is right next to Newport Beach in Orange County. Um, his wife, his daughter, uh, another another lady on there was married to a, a he's kind of a little bit of a local celebrity because he's he's in this cover band. That's an outstanding cover band in the area. They kind of tour around different venues Um and uh, they're the name of the bands, the, the Tijuana Dogs. But regardless of that, it, it, these are local people as well. Um, and so that I think it's it's not just an L.A. thing. It's not it, it's a Southern California thing. And then, like you mentioned, John, it's also it's a global thing. You know, Kobe touched a lot of lives in, in his sport, in his, 
you know, his, his championship ways. He was, he's one of those one name guys, like you said, right. right? Uh, you know, the one name you hear it and you go, I know exactly who you're talking about. And, you know, I, I don't, I think a lot of people who have known about Kobe Bryant know a, a little bit about some of the issues in his past, but there are a couple things. I only bring that up because I think it's important to look at and reflect upon who he became after some of these incidents. Um, he was the family man. He he was the guy going to Catholic mass. He was the guy doing things with his daughter, coaching his teams and being a better father, being a better husband. And it's, it, you know, you taught, you heard a lot of talk about this quote unquote second career of his after basketball. And I, I you know, it, it wasn't, I looked at it as being a family man. A lot of people saw it as the business opportunity. The you know he won the Oscar for the documentary and all of that, and that's awesome. You knew he was going to be successful after his career was done anyway. But you know, it was it was really that's that's the real disheartening thing to it is you saw a shift in him a little while ago in terms of a person and where he was transitioning his life for the better. And it's a shame that he didn't get to fully realize that. And the other thing that's really, I think, jarring to us all, John, is, you know, this wasn't like a random helicopter thing that he never traveled around in a helicopter and it just was this freak, you know, random thing that he never did. He did. This was the way he commuted to avoid Southern California traffic. This was basically his automobile. I mean, this is how he traveled back and forth to get places and he did this basically on a daily basis to get to quite quite a few venues. And you, you think of this person who has all this money, all this fame, his daughter's with him on the helicopter. You think of these people as almost invincible. And, um, you know, to, to have such a daily routine, although we can't really relate to having a helicopter and, and having a helipad as average Joes. I mean, that's the way his he did his everyday life, doing something he did every day. And that, and that's the way he's taken away. I, I think to all of us, that's what's very jarring, and that's why it takes all of us aback and say, you know, we got to really reassess things in our life. Um, re- make sure you tell people around around you that you care about them, because no one's immune to freak accidents. No one's immune to uh, <laughs> no one's immune to death. No one's immune to death. I mean, that's it's a certainty of life. And unfortunately, some face that earlier than others. And Kobe Bryant was one of them. But he was a larger-than-life figure in Los Angeles, in the NBA, and really around the world. Anything you can think of that, uh, for a professional athlete to achieve multiple championships, one of basically one of the top guys in every statistical category in the professional sport, Olympian that won gold medals, won an Oscar. I mean, anything you can think of. And then the personal, the personal life, the turnaround that I mentioned where he really stepped up as a family man in recent years, you know, I, I, he really achieved a a heck of a lot in his life. And um, it's a shame that he's gone. So, so soon. And and just wrote just to wrap it all up. I think that's, that's definitely what just hurts the most because Kobe, the player, like I always knew him growing up and I, you know, his, his legacy on there doesn't need, doesn't need to be said, but, the fact that he really did turn around his life and he really did take it upon himself to become a better person and, and to really just see him just be happy as a father, yeah. as a father, and as a husband after basketball and to be taken up with the game because his daughter was interested in the game, just to see that, you know, progression 
you know, and just like a couple couple weeks ago, he was a meme on Twitter with his daughter just on the court on the court side, just explaining the game to him, and then that, that has just a whole different meaning, just because of, like you said, the the finality of death, the fact that he was just one of those absolute icons around the world in, in the game of sports, just to see him go away, and with all that he's done after the game, it's just it, it just really just makes us. A whole lot more depressing. Yeah, and I, I've got—I know a lot of people like to share a Kobe story or or something like that. I I never met the guy, um, but I, I do have a little bit of a story. My my wife likes to tell this story. She was in a, a restaurant in kind of the Corona del Mar area again, kind of Newport Beachish, Laguna Beach area. She's, I, I think, having dinner there with one of her friends, and in walks—I mean, you, you know who he is, but in walks Kobe Bryant to get some food to go. And he's not, he's not flashy. He's not wearing the necklaces and the suits and the, you know, the big sunglasses or whatever celebrities like to, to wear. He walks in in like a sweatsuit, basically workout type of clothes, very low key. And he happened to be standing right by my wife, you know, probably got 50 bucks worth of food or something. Um, and, Tip the server, I, I think it was like 100 or $150 on top of that. And you say, well, of course, he, he could do that. He's got the money. Well, there are plenty of other stories of celebrities and sports figures acting like jerks to the general public. This guy was not like that. We've seen Ocho Cinco show his, ta- you know, he shows his tip, his tip deal where he outrageously tips people. But that just shows a generous nature. And it's just, it's a small story. It's it's a small little anecdote, but I think it's a small story that encapsulates him, his generosity, and his, you know, his he did have a fire for people. He had a fire to reach out to people, reach out to the community, and that showed, um, especially as he matured as a as a professional athlete and as a family man. And um, again, it's a shame that he is gone. But uh, just reflecting on on Kobe Bryant because he was a massive sports figure, we we felt we needed to talk about him a little bit before we get into all of the Bengals chatter. John, you, uh, uh, such a nice transition here. Um, you are, were at the Senior Bowl last week. We talked about quite a bit of the, you know, the players there, what the coaches were doing, all of that. What, kind of to tie a bow briefly on the rest of the week, how it went, how you felt the coaches were doing. What, what did you see that the next, I think you were there an additional day beyond uh, when we recorded with you last yeah, so I had the pleasure of since the last practice that was open to the media, or just last practice in general on Thursday was rained out. Uh, they moved the teams to South Alabama's indoor facility. Uh, indoor facility. I know a lot of our fans don't know what that is, but um, yeah. So <laughs> about a few miles up, up the road, um, we got we got to sneak into the to the field because I think officially media wasn't allowed, but we just kind of waltzed in there and just assumed the position behind the end zone. So we got, we got to see the last practice and it was a lot like, it was a lot like the first couple. There was a lot, a lot more um, 11 on 11 and seven, seven on seven drills. Cause it was more of a game prep thing, but you know, uh, certain players continue, continue to impress. I got to look at more of the North squad and more of the defensive players on both sides of the ball. And there were a couple of cornerbacks stood out. I think Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh played pretty well. I think, um, the AJ Green, the cornerback from Oklahoma State, played pretty well. Both these guys brought a lot of energy to that practices. But um, in general, I think you know it was a, a lot of confirming what we really saw in the, in the other practices, and a lot of the players. And again, this is my third Senior Bowl, and the the common conclusion that I come to at the end of the week is that 
okay, a lot of these players show a lot of great things. Not a lot of you don't get a lot of negative impressions for the most part because these guys belong here and they're going up against their peers and they should be in positions to practice and play good. But there's a lot of times where players don't really do anything in practices, but then you you realize that they, these are still really talented college players and they're here for a reason. And then they kind of turn it on towards the game. So Justin Herbert played really well in the game for the quarter and a half that he was in there. Uh, he won the MVP deservingly. So he looked really good out there. He's by far the best quarterback down there. There are a couple of guys who did play well in the game that I didn't really notice that much in practice. And it, it, it's more of just, it's it really just more is who shows up in the week in practice and who doesn't. And some, some guys have better weeks than others, but in the game, there's the edge rusher from Utah, Bradley and I, who I'd never really saw in practice, never really noticed. And then he had like three sacks in the game and he beat um, one of the, um, one of the offensive tackles. I believe it was Terrence Steele from Texas tech who beat him like three times. Terrence Steele was, was the offensive tackle that Jim Turner for the South team loved in, in practice and numerously um, uh, praised him during practices. So, and I had a great game. Um, Devin, du- Devin Duvernay, I believe, had a couple catches for Texas as well. He was also really a non-factor in practices as, as well. There are a couple other guys, Lloyd, Lloyd Cushenberry and Damian Lewis, both played really well in the game. They both had great practices during the week on the South team. Just in general, that South offensive line really took it upon themselves to um, improve over the week with the, co- with the help of Coach Jim Turner. And I think a lot of those guys were gravitated towards them. I actually got a chance to talk to Damian Lewis, the offensive guard from LSU about how, you know, he reacted and responded to coach Turner's uh, coaching. And he basically said he immediately liked it. And it, it was just a style that he gravitated towards and it reminded him a lot of uh, where he came from in LSU and he had a, a really good positive mindset. So it, it's interesting, you know, for some that coaching style may not resonate as well, but for, for others, especially in this atmosphere, in this arena where it's only weak there, um, I, I think that it had more of a positive impression than a negative one. Unfortunately, the South office line, again, kind of got beat up over the game. But I think a lot of what we saw in practices translated into the game. But at the same time, this is more of a confirmation process. This is not a place where we need to formulate new takes about players. This is more of these guys are talented. Some guys practice well. Some guys don't practice well. Some guys show up for the game. Some guys don't. The most important things are the things that we as you know, media members can't see, and that's in the interviews. So, you know. The, the, the takeaways from practices are fun and, and from the game are fun, but ultimately the, they don't mean that much in the process. It's more of just confirming about what we saw and confirming the talents that these guys have. And for the most part, this is a really talented senior class and the Bengals are going to have a chance to draft a lot of talented guys. And I think it's been very clear both in the past and now presently that this, this team and this coaching staff, this scouting staff will utilize that this experience to really, I, I think it's going to weigh heavily in their scout in their scouting process, their draft process. I think I think they they're, they're going to use the opportunity to to coach some of these guys, see these guys up close in practice. Um, while every team was there, um, their day to day working with these with a lot of these kids, I think that uh, that will play into some of the decisions that the Bengals will be making in April, but good stuff from you, John, you know, that interview with Duke Tobin was, was high quality stuff. And, um, you know, I know you, you got a lot of sights and sounds down there. You, you probably were introduced to some players that you weren't very familiar with, but seeing them in practice and uh, seeing them in drills and whatnot, you have seen, they've kind of 
probably gone on gotten on your radar. Um, I, I do think some some players have helped their stock. Stock. You mentioned Herbert. You mentioned a slew of wide receivers. Um, you know, I, I think that those are some of the players that really excited. And and I think also just the way the Bulls the Bulls set up, like you said, they've got basically a week to work together. I think those are the players that really are kind of sink or swim in these types of scenarios. You know, the, these bowl games sometimes either are absolutely no offense or they really kind of highlight some of those skill positions. And it sounded like it was the the latter uh, more so than the former. But um, good stuff from you there, John. We appreciate the coverage from the Senior Bowl. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get to some free agency spotlights and our mock draft in just a little bit here, but you can get the program on cincyjungle.com. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio. It's on Megaphone, um, and you can also get it on our YouTube channel as well as I mentioned on cincyjungle.com. Join us live for every recording that we do, whether it's the weekly show, listener questions, uh, or other news and notes, you can join us live when we hit the air on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, as well as our own YouTube channel. You're going to want to subscribe to our channels to know when our latest episodes come up and when we are going to be taking the air live. So we appreciate the support and we look forward to continuing to bring you content throughout the rest of this offseason and into the Bengals 2020 season. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. Those with ambitious, out-of-reach ideas begging to become real solutions. They share a vision for how our world and our lives can thrive when bold thinking meets strong silicon. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy through the power of supercomputing. They dream of trust and privacy for all, of advancing and expanding education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to build something better, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. So, John, we've done uh, we've done Prospect Watch 2020, right? We've done a little bit of free agency. I think we started that a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, the... There are confines that we have to work in with the Cincinnati Bengals as well. There was a recent article by Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com saying it sounds as if the Bengals will do more than than they have done in unrestricted free agency, but still probably not break the bank type of stuff. Um, uh, Mr. Hobson does tend to go a little conservative in terms of uh, tempering, tempering expectations, so it's understandable there, but... Do you have a free agent to be that the Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals should be looking at? I think last time uh, we did Corey Littleton and you had the offensive lineman from Austin Blythe. Yes. Yes. I love crowdsourcing, man. I love when other people do my job for me. And uh, earlier this week, uh, Pro Football Focus uh, released a list about every team. Um, <laughs> a free agent for every team that they need to target. And for the Bengals, they surprised us. They didn't go an offensive lineman. They didn't go a linebacker. They didn't go a defensive lineman. They went with a cornerback, and his name is Kendall Fuller from the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Fuller is is playing in the Super Bowl uh, this week for the Chiefs. Uh, for the past eight or so games, he's actually been at strong safety for them, but he has made his money as a slot corner. Now, in this first two years 
with the Washington football team. He was one of the best slot corners in the game. 2017, when William Jackson had his career year there, he had pro, pro football focus's second highest coverage grade in the slot playing for that Washington defense. He was a part of the Alex Smith trade that got Smith to the Redskins, and then it took Fuller to Kansas City as a part of that uh, trade with the third-round pick, a trade that I guess you know you could look at as an Andy Dalton baseline. But ever since he got to the Chiefs, he's been kind of up and down. He had a decent 2018 year, but not – really at the level of the 2017 uh, season. And then this year, he's been playing a little bit out of position for half the year, but he's still been decently good. So unfortunately for him, his market has dwindled in in a sense of how it did with Darkwest Denard. And now he's entering unrestricted free agency. Instead of getting a market-setting level deal as a slot corner, he's probably looking more towards the mid-tier. And I think this fits right in where the Bengals need. And it really depends on how they handle that position in free agency because – you do have Drake Kirkpatrick as a potential cap casualty. You have Dark West and Art entering free agency again. You probably don't want to have BW Webb in, in your top three cornerbacks in, in, in your depth chart. There's, I guess, long-term questions with William Jackson and his contract here as well. So really all you have in terms of concrete you know, potential is Darius Phillips. So the cornerback position, I've mentioned a couple of prospects in prospect watch. It's going to be a position that experiences a lot of turnover. And depending on how they handle the guys that have played from them last year, it could be a position that they target another mid-level guy like BW last year in free agency this year. And with the way that Fuller has unfortunately decreased his stock with Kansas City and the fact that Kansas City has to pay Patrick Mahomes like $500 million this offseason probably, they're probably not going to be able to bring back a lot of talented guys for them. I still think that Fuller is a, a, a high-tier athlete, a guy who can do a little bit more in coverage than what Dark Westonari could do. So depending on how they handle him and uh, Drake or Patrick and where that overall position goes from there, I think Fuller can be a guy that can kind of rebound his career in Cincinnati, playing on, on a more of a mid-tier contract, not the contract that he wanted or he expected after two years of, in, in Washington, but a guy can kind of rebound his stock playing on a more of a, a, a reasonable contract, which I think Cincinnati can be prepared to give him. Yeah, uh, you, you look at the the PFF grade, 61.4, um, you know, allowed 25 receptions. Uh, so, you know, uh, decent player, comes from a, a good lineage. Um, obviously, for the Fuller family, just they just keep pumping out. <laughs> I was a big fan of Kyle, who yeah. was after like 2014. Unfortunately, yeah. his career didn't turn out. But Kendall is definitely the better player, I think, of those two. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, good one there. Good one there. And you know, what's also interesting about the cornerback group is uh and I think you maybe touched on it a little bit John is the the emergence, the late season emergence of Darius Phillips. Um you know, what do you, what do you want to do there, right? I mean, is it, do you have faith in him to step in as a boundary guy for Drake Kirkpatrick and is he going or will is he just a gambler guy that you know, is, is going to have an up and down career. You don't know. You like what you saw at the end of the year, but um, you know, it's a risk there. You mentioned Kirkpatrick, you mentioned Denard, you mentioned Webb. There's a lot of decisions to be made there going forward, but I do think Fuller for a lot of reasons, Fuller, Fuller makes sense. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to again, kind of go with a somewhat, Pipe dream, I, I pipe dream. I guess uh, a lot of people would love to see this guy in Cincinnati for uh, for a lot of reasons. But we go with Brandon Scherf uh, of uh, with of the Redskins. Um, you know, he's he's a veteran guy. He's uh, very solid. You look at um, if you look at his 
PFF scores, it is uh, a, a pretty high score and higher than that of any other Bengals player from last year, 75 flat. So, um, you know, he, he's he's pretty good on that front. You look at, uh, you know, the sacks allowed as a guard, uh, you know, only, only allowed one last year. So, uh, you know, just a, a pretty solid guy. He was a former first rounder. Um, he's going to, he's going to want a lot of money and he's going to want a big contract, but uh, this, the Bengals have shown at least a little bit of a penchant of going after guards in free agency. They paid Bobby Williams a pretty nice contract a little, uh, a handful of years ago. They did the same thing. If you remember, they franchise tag Stacy Andrews, a guard for them. Um, so, you know, they, they like, they, they will pay some guards, but they don't, ironically, they didn't pay the, the one that they had on their roster that they should have kept Kevin Zeitler. Um, so, you know, there, there's kind of a mixed bag when you talk about that, but you know, Scherf, he's uh, at the tail end of his career. He's going to be 29 towards the end of the of the season there. So this would probably be his last contract if it is a, a three, four year plus type of deal. But should be a guy that could come in, solidify the offensive line, really help out a guy like Trey Hopkins, who uh, had a, you know, turnstile of guards around him throughout 2019 and, uh, you know, obviously having a stable presence at guard going forward is, uh, you know, that'll help his play too. And the big thing with both of these, both Fuller and Scherf, it opens up the draft, right? It, it, mm -hmm. it would open up the draft to get those kind of more fun picks, your skill position players, a wide receiver, a tight end. You can maybe go a little higher and get a higher end guy on that front when you've addressed the guard position, when you've addressed the cornerback position with two solid players in free agency. So, you know, Scherf probably won't be in Cincinnati is, is my guess. I think there's probably going to be some level of interest, but uh, I, I think the price tag will probably end up being a little too high for the Bengals, but I think it would be a very valuable addition, especially whatever you figure out with Cordy Glenn. You've got Jonah Williams coming back. Per, you know, all perceptions are that he's going to be your left tackle. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think this move would make a lot of sense. It would be one of the splashier moves that the Bengals will have made in free agency in quite some time. They're overdue to do that. But uh, it's not really in the Bengals' DNA to go this big in free agency. We'll see. But I think Scherf makes a lot of sense. He plays the right position on the offensive line for them to address. And I, th I know a lot of people are still not really sold on Michael Jordan at left guard. But I think they're going to give him every chance to start there. Right guard is probably where we're going to see competition along the interior line. And I'm not sure that they're going to go out and get a, a, a bona fide high-level starter like Scherf. But he would give them exactly what they need to do what they want to do because he is the prototypical zone guard, not necessarily at the level of Zach Martin, but he has the athleticism to do all the things that they want to do that they try to do in the beginning of last season. And unfortunately it went all to, it went all to crap. So John Miller is decent at right guard, but I think they're going to bring him, him in competition. And if he, if he has to compete with Brandon Scherf, there's no doubt in my mind that Scherf would win that. And Miller might, might even be cut altogether. Um, I worry that Scherf is going to follow his old offensive line coach, Bill Callahan to Cleveland 
because yeah. they, they could they could use some help on offensive line as well. And they've obviously been obviously been more prone to spending in free agency in general and also on the offensive line. So I don't know where Scherf is going to go. I'm, he might he may go back to Washington in general. Uh, like you, I don't think he's going to end up in Cincinnati. But I think if if by some miracle he does, that would by far be the most expensive player that they bring in. But he would give them exactly what they need at a position that I think they're going to bring in some competition. Yeah, and look, this whole thing, and we'll get to this in, in the mock draft, if the Bengals are going to take a new quote-unquote franchise quarterback, be it Joe Burrow or somebody else, you have to protect him. You have to have the offensive line pieces in front of him. You just have to. Um, no matter how promising of a prospect Joe Burrow is, you need to have – you can't have one of the worst performing lines by metrics – standards and every really the eye test standards every standard you cannot have you cannot feel the same level of offensive line or even marginally better than what we saw throughout most of last year they need some significant upgrades and uh, you know like you said maybe michael jordan takes a gigantic step forward at left guard we'll see trey trey hopkins had a you know a solid year at center i wouldn't say it was absolutely outstanding but it was a solid year uh who knows what's going on with Cordy Glenn? You hope you get kind of that quote-unquote extra first-round pick in Jonah Williams. Bobby Hart played well at the end of the year, but throughout most of the, the rest of it was Bobby Hart. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, to me, it's just you, if you have to protect your asset if you're going to use significant draft capital on a quarterback, you, you might as well go get and pay for some solid – players up front to help him out so um that's that's my standpoint on it I, I think that that would be the absolute highest level the Bengals would go in free agency um and of course it's not a, a sexy position it's got offensive guard but I think a lot of people would be excited at that acquisition if they if they were able to land a guy like that yeah and I, again wouldn't expect it but this is a wish list so yeah. <laughs> so inter- before we go into the mock draft, interesting question here from Bob Shalosky in our live Facebook chat. So are we giving up on Billy Price? Is that is he going? We we talked about this on a on an episode a couple of weeks ago. Given Paul Daner Jr.'s kind of breakdown of some of those players and where they're at in terms of future plans, I mean, is 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 he as good as gone? Is he a backup? Is he trade bait? Is are they going to give him a chance to compete? at left guard or, or is that just that's previous regime guy speaking of daniel jr he, he he he's listing price as a potential trade piece for a team who quote unquote needs a starting center okay he, if he can't start in any of the interior spots in, in cincinnati he's probably not going to start anywhere else now there's the whole argument of giving a guy a, a brand new start giving him a chance to kind of reimagine himself and all, all that stuff but he still has to be talented enough to play and if he's not talented enough to start at cincinnati I highly doubt that another team's going to find value in that. The only thing that he has going for for him is the fact that he was a former first-round pick, but that didn't do very well for Cedric Obwehi when he tested the open market. He got a one-year deal with Jacksonville. Didn't do well with Jake Fisher, who was a second-round pick. He got a one-year deal with Buffalo. So with with Price, I I think he's probably too expensive to cut right now. And unless they find anything, if they can get a seventh-round pick for him, I would definitely consider that because in terms of him, him being a backup, you can do better for a backup at any of the interior spots 
even with a seventh round pick. So if they can get anything for price, I would advise them to take it. I don't think that he's likely going to start here next year. I think he's just in the mix for one of those backup jobs. But unfortunately, the, the price for, to cut him is a little bit too high, and they're going to have to eat a lot of dead money. And I don't yeah. know if he's worth cutting you know, dead, dead weight off that in general. But like it's just, it's just a tough situation with the financials and with the fact that he's just not really good. And I, I would not want him to start next year, but I think they have so many other options, better options to do than that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think he's in this regime's long-term plans. I, I just, I don't, um, you know, maybe, maybe he gets, if there was some health issues and whatnot, maybe that gets remedied over the off season. But um, for now, I think Billy Price is relegated to backup duty or maybe trade bait for something. Um, and I don't, I don't think that the value is very high at this moment in time. So those are a couple of free agent options that we are looking at for the Cincinnati Bengals based on, I don't know, our own kind of connections, the, our own connecting of the dots there and um, need all that kind of stuff. Again, some of these might be a little bit of pipe dream, but um, hey, stranger things have happened, I guess. We'll see. It sounds like the Bengals may be a little more active than they have been in outside free agency over the past couple of years. They've got the the space to do so. And they're going to hold them to that. Yeah. And they've got, they've got some, some players, you know, it's funny what they, uh, Hobson did specifically mention unrestricted free agency as what they will do more in, it's just funny, you know, what, what does that mean? Does that mean, again, their own unrestricted free agents? Does that mean, you know, and does do they count trading players in, in outside free agency activity? You know, that sort of thing. Who knows? Um, I think there, we're probably going to see a little bit of everything. I think we'll probably see some players moved. We'll probably see some some uh, a little bit more activity, but I, I still wouldn't see a monumental shift in how the Bengals conduct their March business. Um and and you know me with the Bengals and free agency, John. I I I get upset. I get upset. Yeah, I mean, like if they're not going to do any restricted free agency, I guess pff, Josh Tupo's good is gone. Like, right. screw restricted free agency, man. That's 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 the stuff we want. That's right. the bad news. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll see. Um, it, you know, it's coming up upon us here in in basically a month and a half. Uh, that you know. It's it's coming up on us sooner than you think, as is the draft. But um, you know, we'll we'll see uh, we'll see what the Bengals end up doing. If if how close of a pulse Hobson actually has uh, on on what the Bengals are going to do. This is the Orange and Black Insider. Get the program how you can. Subscribe to our channels. Do us a favor too. Leave a review. I know I noticed that uh, five stars only. Yes, I know. Um, you know, I noticed that uh, our ratings have, uh, our, our reviews have gone up based on what we've done with the show in terms of audio quality and uh, maybe some things through StreamYard. Some of you guys like that too. Um, and it sounds like some of you have liked what you have seen from us really over the past six months to 12 months um, in terms of how the show has gone. If you if you are so inclined and you listen to the show and you subscribe to it, on one of our channels, please leave it a, leave us a rating. Um, we appreciate that. We appreciate all feedback, even if it's you telling us to go pound sand. That's fine too. But we 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 like the occasional pat on the back too, right? Right, John. We like the ego stroke. What does pound sand mean? Seriously, I have, I have no idea what that is. You never heard that for a phrase before? No. Is, is, <laughs> is this showing my age? Uh, might be showing mine. I guess if you, if you don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, basically it means if you go. 
Go Kick Rocks. Have you ever heard of that one? I have heard of that one. Okay, pound, pound sand, kick rocks. It's just another verb and another noun that has to deal with the earth. I get it. Oh, man, you just made me feel really old. You just <laughs> made, made me feel really old. Um, but yeah, if you can, and, and subscribe to our channel, so that way, at a minimum, you get notified as to when our new episodes are coming up, when uh, we're going live, all of that. And it's not just this show. There's other shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, including Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. By the way, he has been absolutely killing it with his video breakdowns. They are very, very cool. Um, as well as the guys from Orange is the New Black, they are doing some great stuff there. They had uh, our good friend James Rapine on recently on one of their episodes. So, um, you know, a lot of entertaining stuff on the channel. We appreciate your support. So let's get to it, John. Um, before, here, here's kind of the rules with the mock draft that we're going to utilize. For the sake of time and for the sake of, you know, last year when we did our mock draft, John, if you remember, we kind of like assumed who would be there, who wouldn't be there. And we, we kind of played that game. We, we tried to be as realistic as possible. Uh, I remember I selected Ed Oliver at 11 for the Bengals. And I thought that was a little bit of a reach, but he lasted till nine. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wasn't that far off. But what we're going to do is we're going to use basically one of the, it seems like the most popular simulator, which is through the draft network. We will be using that. John and I are going, we're going to try and get to two. We'll for sure get to one mock draft. We're going to try and get to two if, if time permitting. We're going to do a, uh, a, through the draft simulator, we're going to go through it. We're going to both agree upon a pick and make that selection. And then that way we have at least a somewhat realistic picture as to who will be available when the Bengals are on the clock, we're doing seven picks. We're not doing trades. We're not doing, we're not accounting for Andy Dalton getting some sort of pick or anything like that. We're doing the seven picks that they have and we'll go from there. The other thing I want to bring up are uh, aside from using the draft network, I want, I, I want to talk about a few of these things in terms of draft strategy that we've heard, be it through John's interview with Duke Tobin or what news has come across the wire through cincyjungle.com and other outlets, um, what we think we know about the Bengals' 2020 draft strategy. Basically, we think that they will they'll listen to trade offers at number one overall, but they're but moving out is probably highly unlikely, okay? Um, per Dave Lapham, the Bengals will look hard at defense on night two, maybe even round two. And Dave Lapham, if you notice, he was the guy who called Jesse Bates in the second round recently. He was the guy who was all over Jonah Williams last year. He was the guy who called Tyler Eifert a few years ago when no one else was, was thinking about that. Um, so he's he got a, he knows. he's got a pretty pretty damn good pulse on what the Bengals are doing with, with the draft. So I would say, you know, by round three, again, the Cincinnati Bengals will will have drafted a um, you know, a, a defensive player. Um, or, or by their third round pick, uh, they, they, they will have done that. Uh, I, as we mentioned before, the Bengals staff will weigh the senior bowl coaching process and availability to availability to those prospects heavily. Um, they may favor some of those players that they've coached and or seen in practices up close. Um, as Duke Tobin mentioned in John's interview with him, uh, they will go best player available, especially in the, the middle rounds. They will go best player available to avoid a, what they deem a possible reach uh, for, for a positional need. And Duke Tobin did note that really they have a lot of needs in terms of positional needs. But 
best player available will often win over, over a potential reach. Um, it's funny. We had the conversation about Billy Price a couple of minutes ago, but oh well. Uh, the team may end up with more than the amount that we are going to to use on the selection process, but um, you know we're not we're not doing that. John, anything else you think worth noting as we get as we get th- to this here? Um, any complaints be directed? Uh, any complaints uh, be directed towards Anthony, not me? Yeah, crap. I mean, I just mentioned give us a rating. Get, tell us how great we are, and then we're gonna get, get a mock mock draft going, and everybody's gonna tell us how how stupid we are. But. Um, Okay, so let's get to it. I am going to here. Here's what I'm going to do, John. So we're going to make the picks, and we'll t- we'll talk. You and I will kind of discuss it through, agree upon the pick, and then we will explain why that player fits, why why he was the pick, strengths, weaknesses, all that good stuff, um, and we'll go from there. So let's. I'm going to share this real quick. I'm going to share the the screen here. So hopefully those of you tuning in live or watching our YouTube channel will see. Here's what the, the draft network, we've got it, the simulator queued up. Um, I will, I think we know where we're going with, with the number one overall pick, John. Um, I think we can agree it's Joe Burrow, correct? Why is Burrow ahead of Young? I, th- I thought that Young was the best player in this draft. Oh, interesting. Look at you, troll. Look it, at you, troll. Just, so, just, just press the button. Just press the button. So before we do that, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to switch to a different screen to show this. And I want you to explain this, especially since you just trolled people, uh, that I want you to, cause I thought this was outstanding, John. Um, you hey, put hey, a hell of a lot of, yes, a hell of a lot of work into this, the Joe Burrow passing chart against his five toughest opponents, all sec opponents, well, except for Clemson, um, that's the national championship game. But the others, SEC opponents, walk us through this br- briefly if you can, um, and what this is telling you about Joe Burrow and why he will be the team's number one overall pick. Because I thought this was fantastic work by you. What I wanted to do was look at the top three quarterbacks and against their five toughest defenses that they face by uh, Bill Connolly's S and P metric. And what it came out was Florida, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson were the five toughest defenses that Burrow played. And I think um, Georgia, Clemson, and Auburn are all top five defenses, and I think Florida's in the top ten. So strength of schedule-wise, Burrow played an incredibly hard schedule, and I wanted to see you know how he performed, and not not just not just how he performed on the eye test, but how the box score numbers deviate. You know, taking account of the throwaways and and how it looks. You know under pressure in, in a clean pocket, how much of that production was behind the line of scrimmage. Really just contextualizing that production. I'm, I'm not the first one to do this. I think it was Ben Solak of the Draft Network who really did this. Um, who was really the first, I guess, quote-unquote, non-professional to do this. Um, that really contextualized all this all this production and put it into a, a type of visual aid like this. And I wanted to see where all that production came from. I wanted to see if you know the eye test of, of what that LSU offense really looks like on paper. And the the first thing that really stands out, I think, for most people is that in the middle of the screen, there's only seven charted attempts beyond 10 yards in the middle of the field. And what I did with that was that any any pass that landed within uh, inside the hash marks beyond 10 yards past line of scrimmage, that counted as that. So there's not a lot of of, of work and really experience with that. But, I, you know, people chart different ways. People chart between the numbers instead of the hashes. So you, you may see different deviations of production for other people who charted there. But, look, I mean – 
it's just accurate. It's just accuracy and efficiency all over the field. And it's specifically towards the deep right side, whenever, you know, in, in these games that Burrow went deep and, and connected, it was always towards the right side. It was usually to Jamar Chase, his stud sophomore receiver, nine for 12, 390 yards, five touchdowns and interception uh, on passes towards the right side of the field uh, beyond 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. And again, a lot of the production is within 10 yards uh, of within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And that's really the predication of this offense. It was a lot of empty protect. It was a lot of empty, empty protections, a lot of, you know, five receiver concept routes and whatnot, a lot of slants, a lot of in routes and, and a lot of yards after catch as well. So the offense did a great job of taking advantage of the explosive playmakers and, but Burrow put it in, in a position for players to, you know, make the most of it after the catch. So not only was he accurate there, he put his receivers in a chance to gain the most yardage. And, in these five games, only 22 attempts behind line of scrimmage, and that production those 133 yards that you see there that was not in, in, accounted for in terms of the charted, uh, the, the total charted production. But and also looking at the clean and pressure splits, the completion percentage was not as as, as you know much of a difference as I thought it would be. Still a 76% completion percentage, 11.7 adjusted yards per attempt when he was under pressure or when he was forced to create. And that was that was not only just when he had a, a, a player in his face, like if there was like a timing route where the protection kind of failed for a second. And he had to maybe like step aside for a throw. I didn't really count that. It was when like he held on to the ball for more than two seconds and he had to go off his first couple reads and to do, he had to reset his feet, move around the pocket. He had to make do with what pressure was in his face. He still performed admirably. And there was a lot of times where, you know, he would throw it. There, there were a couple of times where he would throw it away. I tried four throwaways for him total, but for the most part, he, he made something happen. And he, and he ran the ball a lot, 43 rushes or 323 yards when he was under pressure. That was actually the most common thing that I saw for him. But the athleticism is good enough where he can get away with the NFL. He has to slide more than he did in college, but he was able to escape a lot of, a lot of that pressure. And he was able to make plays down the field. So what you saw you know, when you watched him on Saturday, it, 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 showed up, it showed up on this production chart. And it really didn't tell me anything revolutionary, but it did confirm the fact that there is just nowhere on the field that he can't really place it. And there's no types of, of routes that he that he can't maximize and if you put him in a, a system that maximizes his abilities you're going to see this type of production eventually in the nfl down the road yeah and i think the one to, to your point a little bit about the lack of maybe deep throws in the center of the field me, you know medium to deep throws in the center of the field as opposed to the right side or or his left side you know i think as you watched joe burrow play what he was really doing well with deep balls to his receivers was he would utilize the sideline. And because he was so accurate, he was able to basically utilize a sideline, utilize a side of a field quite often to put a ball where either the receiver makes the play or it is, it's an incompletion. It's not a dangerous pass. It's not an intercepted intercepted pass. It's a pass where, you know, he, it's, he puts it really only where the receiver can get it. And I think he utilized the sidelines well, quite often, at least in games that I watched him. Um, he utilized that that trick well uh, for for to, and it shows on this on this graph here. But that's that's excellent work there, John. I saw that earlier today, and I, I had to share that um, as we because uh, I figured we were going to go with Joe Burrow tonight. Um, I, I wanted to share that with everybody um, because I thought that was excellent work. So, all right. That being said, we will start with Joe Burrow. And so you see it simming. This is going to take a, a minute or two here. Um, 
going through before the Bengals pick again at the top of the second round. What are you, what are you, while we're waiting here, John, what are you thinking uh, is, what do you think the Bengals are looking at here? I mean, obviously it depends on who's available. Is it, is it, do you think they would prioritize an edge rusher say over a, a traditional linebacker? Do you think that they would, uh, do you think that they would look for an interior rusher or do you look at it and you see Josh Jones, the offensive tackle best remaining offensive lineman on the board, despite Lapham saying they may go defense at, at round two. Yeah, I think if it goes like this, so both Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma, and Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU, uh, two of the top linebackers after Isaiah Simmons, they are now off the board. I think at this point it goes to so the teams who, you know, who start who start the second round, they're going to have plenty of phone calls throughout the night, throughout the day about trading up because at this point there is someone's you know, top 15 players still on the board. And I think that's also the process that the Bengals are going to go through. Like there's somebody left here at the top of the second round. That's going to be a potentially a first round player in the, in the Bengals minds that have dropped all the way down here. Unfortunately, as we look at who's, who's the best uh, available on the, on the current big board, it's a lot of offensive guys, a couple of running backs, a couple, a couple of quarterbacks as well. Uh, Jeff, Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver from LSU. Um, I, I do think they're going to be prioritizing defense here. But it, it just depends on really who's available still. And the fact that those linebackers went off the board, it kind of throws a little wrench in, wrench in, it, in it all. But I, I do think that they're going to be prioritizing, okay, who's the top player on the board? Because there's probably going to be a, a, another first-round player here. And I think that's their main priority over just targeting a specific position. But I don't think they're going to take, obviously, a running back or another quarterback, obviously. Correct. So it's going to come down to who's the best player out of the position of need. It could be an edge rusher. It, it may be. Honestly, a little too early for an offensive tackle, depending on their thoughts on Bobby Hart, their thoughts on Fred Johnson. I don't think, uh, unless there's a, a, unless they have an offensive tackle who is a clear round one guy, I don't think it's going to be at this spot. Even though Josh Jones does look very enticing here. So my my preference is to narrow this down. I like I like Chenault, I like Josh Jones, I like Justin Jefferson um at, at this pick and also maybe even austin jackson though that may be a bit of a reach down there um those are the those are the guys i would probably look at here do you have thoughts to narrow it down even further uh based on that i mean i, I i'm tempted to go josh jones here um personally right. but, but uh, yeah yeah and i, and I think uh, again their plan may not be to address offensive tackle this early uh you know, going against, I think, a lot of wishes from the fan base. But if this is how it goes and there's a lot of run on defensive players towards the end of the first round, because I don't think I don't think either of us think that they're going to trade back into the first round, especially if they only have seven picks at their current disposal. I think you could see them go into the secondary and maybe a cornerback position, maybe a cornerback or maybe the best edge rusher available. I think those are two positions that if not offensive tackle, that's probably where they're going to settle on because I don't think they're going to want to reach for a linebacker specifically because this isn't that great of a linebacker class, but plenty of edge talent, plenty of cornerback talent. They could get the best uh, player available at the top of the second round there at, at those two positions. But again, Ter- Josh Jones does look enticing. Terrell Lewis, was he the young man that was at the senior bowl? He was. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, good week. And, yeah, and they were, they were working him out uh, as both a, a strong side linebacker from what I read as well as an edge rusher. So he may make a lot of sense here as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, like I, I think – I, if I if I was Duke, I would prioritize 
addressing the edge rusher position early in this draft because you know you're, you're not going to bring out Kerry Win, and you don't really have another dominant. You don't really have really a dominant presence there. You have a lot of decent guys, and uh, of course Dunlap, you know, took over the second half of the year. But I don't know if I trust Hubbard developing into that you know premier pass rusher. And Carl Lawson deals a lot of injuries as well, and he's entering the contract year as well. So honestly, the more I talk about it, the more edge rusher sounds really enticing here. Okay, so do you want to you want to go with Lewis? Yeah, I, I think I think Lewis would be a good pick here. I think okay. Lewis would be a good pick. All right, we'll do that. A lot of people are are screaming for offensive linemen there, so we'll see we'll see how badly this this may backfire here. So the Bengals go defense in our draft based on their again there there are this isn't necessarily john and anthony's dream scenario it's really playing trying to play within the confines of what may happen in the draft and some of the Bengals' preferences they want to favor they they tend to favor guys they know well from the senior bowl they've done that uh before so here we go again um the Bengals are on the clock the remaining needs if you look uh you could say, and by the way, going back to the Lewis pick, I just want to reiterate, they did work him out as a Sam linebacker as well as an edge rusher. So they may mm-hmm. feel that there's versatility there that they could kind of kill two birds with one stone in a, in a play like that. The pass rush was inconsistent last year. Um, the Bengals love the big school kids, the SEC kids. That's something else to note. So, uh, and, and, re- and real quick in the comment section, Greg Morris the second he says Lewis is more based off a three four defense. What do you think they ran last year? Right. Like, like li- 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 they're going to have Pratt back at linebacker, and they're probably going to address the position in free agency. If that's the case, you have your two starters there. You need a guy like Lewis who can play off ball and can also rush the passer in a two point stance. Like this may not be a traditional three four base defense, but based off the personnel that they had. That was the best scheme that they ran with it, and they do need more depth and bodies there. So I don't agree with that logic there. Right. Um, so coming up here, there are a number of interesting – I would say the biggest positional needs based on what has not been addressed is offensive line, obviously, outside and interior. Uh, maybe even wide receiver, John. Um, you know, there's there was kind of some ups and downs kind of from injury with um, – uh, Auden Tate, who knows what's going on with AJ Green? Um, you know Tyler Boyd's still there and locked down, and he had a thousand yard season, so he he looks he's looking pretty solid. Who knows what's going on with John Ross? Um, you know the Damian Willis experiment did not bear fruit, so that may be a position they look at earlier than some think, or maybe that's a day three type of position. But I think the most intriguing names right here. Sorry, Ohio State fans. Donovan Peoples-Jones is an interesting guy. Antoine Winfield Jr. is a very interesting player. Um, The tackle, the remaining tackles here are a little light. Uh, Yeah. You know, uh, and so do you you reach here? Maybe Isaiah Wilson makes some sense. Um, There are a plethora of wide receivers. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Brandon Ayuk, uh, as well as Denzel Mims. A lot of people like him. You could also look at uh, did uh, oh yeah Thaddeus Moss is another interesting uh, and there's Denzel Mims a couple a couple things right yeah I said him yeah so what where do you see the Bengals going here John do you think they they take kind of one of the best players available maybe that's Antoine Winfield Jr. or Donovan Peoples or do you think they they look a little bit further down and maybe have fallen in love with a guy like Denzel Mims or 
they want to provide a security blanket for for Joe Burrow with his best friend on the Tigers. So this is this is the third round. This is the um, this is the target area, I guess you could say, for the, tr- the traditional spot where they go linebackers. So can we get, can we see who the best linebackers are available here? We sure can. Uh, right, 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 up. Where up, am I? Where am I? Oh, there we go. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right. So, oh yeah, Malik Harrison was was a prominent figure at, at the Senior Bowl. Is a guy that they got experience to talk with. Uh, he looks to be the best available here. Evan Weaver is a guy who was productive but wasn't exactly athletic athletic enough so I don't think they're going to be targeting him but you know like this isn't the great linebacker class again and a lot of the good guys have already gone off the board but I think Harrison would be in the conversation here but also at the same time you draft the quarterback and typically teams who do that like that you know back in 2011 when they drafted Dalton they made sure to, to obviously put him with AJ Green they drafted Clint Bowling in the fourth round as well so there's there's going to be picks between the third and fifth round they're centered around building around Joe Burrow, and it'll come down to which offensive line position they're gonna, are they going to address first. And I do think that there's an argument that they will pick a guard before an offensive tackle. They may mm. go later. They may go later in the draft to maybe get more of a developmental guy that they can develop behind Bobby Hart at right tackle. It maybe take an offensive interior offensive lineman like a Damian Lewis, who who Jim Turner had experience with the Senior Bowl to potentially compete with John Miller. So I think between Lewis, Harrison, and potentially the best available receiver i think is where they would uh, focus here uh so you're saying harrison here um here are the top wide receivers available yeah so i, I brandon Ayuk from arizona state was at the senior bowl but he unfortunately in practice he didn't get his medical cleared but people thought with a good week there he could confirm his status as a potentially a first round guy so here we are in the, in the at the top of the third with him still on the board you have Mims, who had a great Senior Bowl week. KJ Hill had a great Senior Bowl week. Van Jefferson had a great Senior Bowl week. There's a lot of right, guys, right. There's a lot of guys that the Bengals have experience, uh, already experienced with, uh, for, you know, seeing them in firsthand. So if they want a receiver here to get some some type of long term depth of the position with a lot of uncertainty there, all, all four of those guys make a lot of sense. Maybe maybe more towards Mims or Jefferson because they played more outside or Ayuk in that case. So instead of KJ Hill, more of a slot guy. So here's what we're weighing because I think it's wide receiver. I think the the uh, interior offensive lineman you mentioned um, is is a good fit um, as well as Harrison, the linebacker out of Ohio State. Uh, you, you have to weigh here. I'm leaning towards Harrison personally because of the need. Mm-hmm and the lack of depth at that position and the fact right. that they like to pick linebacker in the third round. They just love doing that. Um, and you also have to look, okay, maybe they like Ayuk, Mims, KJ Hill, Van Jefferson because of their good senior bowl week. Maybe they're pretty confident with all of these guys there that one of them will still be available at the top right. of the fourth round. So like, like There's, there's going to be receivers all over this draft that you can take anywhere. And I would advise any team to take one because this is a talented class, but because it's such a talented class, there's going to be guys available in the fourth, fifth round that should have been drafted in the second or third round in other classes. Right. So what uh, I would say Harrison personally, but um, up to you. Uh, I, you know, if you've got other qualms again, here, here are the offensive tackles that are available. Um, Wilson, um, a bit overlooked to due to his teammate. Uh, well, There's Ben Barch too. He had a great senior bowl week too. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Just go ahead and take Harrison. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I, think, Harrison. We got, I think we got a good agreement on that. Yeah. Uh, Value-wise, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but um, I think I think it's you know I think that the the pick makes sense there. And there's no doubt that 
in the real draft at the top of both of these rounds, the Bengals are going to be looking to go back because they've, they've traded back in the second round multiple times over the past half decade. They're, they're going to be wanting more picks and there's going to be players just as good in the middle of the second round as they did in the top of the second round. Yeah. I don't think they're going to move out of that. I'm, I'm very confident that they're not going to move out of that first pick, but like I, I totally agree that there could be moves back to get more picks because they are at the top of rounds and they've got a lot of needs to address. So, um, you know, I think that that, uh, that's where we're looking here. Okay. So now all of a sudden, look at, uh, look at here. Let's go to best available. Here you go here. You've got wide receiver. You've got your Ben Barch kid. Um, Mm -hmm. you said, you said he was at the senior bowl and looked pretty good. Yeah. Oh, like he was the guy that Duke Tobin was being interviewed uh, by NFL Network, and he he mentioned um, Barch by name when talking about the opportunity that small small school guys have to go against you know you know more physically gifted guys in Division One. So Barch was a guy that caught Tobin's eye. So he's definitely on their radar. You want to go with him? Uh, I think he has one of the best arguments here. I, I think uh, I still am intrigued with Damian Lewis, the guard from LSU, and I, I do think that this would be a decent spot for receiver, but. I think for what they're looking at for offensive tackle, maybe not a guy who can you know push Bobby Hart immediately out of his spot. I think Barch is an intriguing athlete who can play on both sides. That could be a guy that they want to develop. So I think Barch does make a lot of sense here. You'd you'd go with him over Lewis? I, I, again, like I, I think in projecting, like it can't be out of the equation that they go guard before tackle. And it depends on what they do with free agency. But I, I think Barch. My, I would feel more comfortable, I guess, with Barch based off of the the type of player that he is, the type of player he can be molded into, and the fact that they have experience w- w- with him. I, I think. Yeah, what, what, there's, what also, there's also Trey Adams here, which is an right, right, That's, interesting, interesting player. And the Bengals do usually they don't they don't do the small school guys that often, um, but when they do, it's it's usually on day three. Um, so, but uh, you know. I like Trey Adams more as a prospect. The health worries me. Um, you know, you just these, this team can't draft guys that are looking to start that have injury issues. So, if you think there's there's fire where there's smoke with Ben Barch and some of the comments that were made by Duke Tobin, um, I'll say I'll say this. I think when April comes around, depending on because Trey Adams has a medical issue that this is this is why he's in the hundreds right, so off the right. board. Uh, Barch is probably only going to go up from here. He might not even make it to the third round. Just, just thinking back to like like an Ollie Marpet case where he went, I think, in the late second round to the Buccaneers. I think that's probably where Barch's ceiling is going to be. So if they can still get him in the fourth round, it may be because the process didn't go very well for him. But in this juncture, I think he provides more value than than Adams or Lewis, I guess. And it, it, does he provide flexibility? I think he would. Right. Yeah, he, he's not finished filling out his frame, and there's there's risk to that. But I think based off what their thoughts on him now, what he showed against top-tier college talent, I think that getting him in the fourth round would be a blessing at this, at this juncture. All right, let's do it. So, uh, the so far, the Cincinnati Bengals have Joe Burrow, the quarterback out of LSU, Terrell Lewis, the edge defender out of Alabama, Malik Harrison, the linebacker out of Ohio State, and they finally addressed offensive linemen and Ben Barch from St. John's. So, um, I, you know, I think those are some of the – I think everyone is pretty much saying these are the 
biggest needs for the Cincinnati Bengals going forward. Um, and these are guys that, that they would target for sure. So we're trying yeah. to keep the, the, the realistic uh, um, approach here. So. Uh, oh, I see your guy. Yeah. I, I think this, if he's available in the fifth round, I, I think that's, that's maybe where they would go. Uh, you know, tight end could be in the discussion here. Um Let's see who's at interior offensive line. So John Simpson, you said he did not have a good week. I remember at uh, yeah, he's he's not he's not going to going backwards. Like he's not he's not a fit in his own scheme. I don't think he's going to be a target for them. Um, let's see interior defensive linemen. Any of these names? This is, this is where my lack of preparation is. Yeah, I'm not familiar with too many of those guys either. Um, oh, there's Trotman, the tight end from Dayton. Yeah. He, he was arguably the most talented tight end down at the senior bowl, or at least he showed it. So, yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, but I don't, I don't, I really don't know what their urgency is going to be with tight end because the the eye for question is is intriguing if they're going to bring him back, but they still they still want to increase the role of Drew Sample and they still have CG Zoman. I think they have some other guys there, so. The fifth round is probably the earliest that I would see him go tight end, and I think a guy like Trauma would definitely intrigue them. So, but what anybody here in the corner? Troy, Troy Pride Jr. is is he's a baller. I think if he's there in the fifth, he might be he might become best player available. Okay, so we've got it down to sounds like him. Here are the wide receivers available. Um, couple of recognizable names. Tyler Johnson's a really interesting player also. Um, mm-hmm. Set a lot of records at Minnesota. Very interesting player. Um, Pittman, you know, height, weight, potential speed guy. We have to see how he runs. I think he helped his stock this this last week. And then Duvernay's a, an interesting player as well. So if you had your your pick here, John, would you uh, – I would say it's down – for me, it's, it's down to Pittman or Pride. Personally. Yeah, so, so so let's let's just go through this as as a war room would. So we have to go we have to go through all these scenarios about okay, what positions have we addressed? Are, are we going to stick strictly to our board? I think both of the, well, the wide receiver and cornerback positions are are very similar in terms of not having a lot of long term stability. They're having definitely talent, but definitely a lot of question marks in terms of who's going to be around there uh, going forward. And I think there's the argument of getting taking the receiver to help out your quarterback, but also recognizing that you know you can never have too many good cornerbacks and especially in a in a very good cornerback class to have a guy like pride down here i think he provides just inkling more value than than the the wide receiver still available because i think tyler johnson is going to end up being like this year's hakeem butler who is really high on a lot of draft twitter a lot of draft tutors opinions but ends up going to like the fourth or fifth round in the actual draft where the nfl teams may not have that high of opinion on him but i think i think pride is probably my best player available here, but I, if you want to go receiver, I, I'm all for that as well. Uh, we'll go with pride. We'll go with pride. Let me, let me look at this one more time to see who, who could be there. Um, yeah. Oh, Gandy, that, there's, there's, there's a Liberty guy. Yeah. Gandy golden's an interesting guy too. Um, all right. So I, I think, I think we'll go pride by a thin margin. Sure. So I've got a little bit of a game plan for the next two picks here, depending on who's available. I think mm-hmm. I know who I who I, 
I don't necessarily want him, but I think it it would make sense for the Bengals given some things that I have read and heard. Um, for for their seventh round pick, um, Pippen is still there. Yeah. So I wow. think that's I think that's where we go, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't hesitate. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's where we go. That's it. That's a steal. If he's there in the sixth round, that is an absolute steal. And and that's what they're going to go for. They're, like at this point, you're, you're for most teams, their boards really stop right before the 200 mark. They don't grade 250 players draftable in terms of draftable grades. If they see a guy like Pittman, who will probably have a mid round grade here in the sixth, they're going to go probably best player available. They're not going to pass that opportunity right. up. Right. Exactly. Um, so there is a player, John, that I wanted to let's see if he's available. <laughs> Brian Creamer in the chat. AJ Green is available. I saw that. Uh, he might have been selected. Let me. Uh, uh, he, I think he was selected. Oh no! So this kid, Calvin Throckmorton. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a kid who they uh, gushed about at the Senior Bowl. Could potentially provide some versatility as an interior guy. He's got the size for a tackle. May be able to be uh, to move around a little bit. Maybe you feel that this knocks this knocks off the need for the interior offensive lineman. This was a guy I was thinking about with this final pick here because of the connection and their specific praise for him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just one name I was thinking about. Obviously, he might he might be a guy that is an undrafted free agent. You know, it it, it was not unlike the Keaton Sutherland thing from last year, right? Weren't they, weren't they into him kind of early in the process? They found out that he was going to be an undrafted guy and that's where they targeted him. Um, I kind of see Throckmorton as maybe a a very similar player. So that would be a guy I would not be surprised if they, if they drafted. Um, Otherwise we can look here at some other players. Um, If you've got a lot of wide receivers towards the top here, um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on any of the if if you think wide receivers the way to go. I know we've got I know we've got one listener who's going to want Gandy Golden for sure. Um, <laughs> these guys might as well be randomly generated names from Madden. I don't know any of these people. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> let's see if there's anybody. Yeah, I mean, the the value there is kind of. I do know Tyree Phillips, and I was kind of impressed with him at the Senior Bowl, but he didn't have the greatest end of the week, so. I, I, to your point with Rock Morton, he was a late add-on into the Senior Bowl after the first practice. So his first day was in the middle of the week on Wednesday when before he came on the show, and he was immediately inserted into the starting lineup for the South team, Jim Turner's team, and and like a couple of the ta- like the tackles for the South team in day one were really really good. So for him to be put in immediately, I think does to your point speak a lot about their thoughts on him and apparently how he you know um, met him and introduced him and what they think about him as a as a person so he didn't really have the greatest week of practice but on that Oregon offensive line there's a lot of really good guys and that's that's really why Justin Herbert was able to have the year that he did so if he's here in the seventh I, I think to your point he's definitely a guy that they're going to be able to target and I, it wouldn't be out of the rim for them to, to draft multiple tackles because of their lack of depth there yeah, they. I mean, if you remember last year, they had like they were down to none. Um, right. I mean, it was they were playing John Jerry at left tackle. So, um, you know, I, I don't think they want to be in that boat again. And Throckmorton might might provide some versatility along with uh, you know the headiness they like out of out of that. And he he probably showed the nastiness that Jim Turner likes. That that's kind of that was my reasoning for this pick is to finish it off. Yeah, just go ahead and do it. All right. So there you go. Uh, the picks that we made for the Cincinnati Bengals 
We had Joe Burrow, Terrell Lewis, Malik Harrison, Ben Barch, Troy Pride, Michael Pittman, and Calvin Throckmorton. If you look at, let's see, um, where does it show the needs? Um, well, I, it, it depends on how you would look at it. Uh, you know, you would you would think that maybe offensive offensive line has been addressed pretty heavily uh, in this draft. Maybe not the names that um, a lot of people are overly familiar with. Here you go, right here: Joe Burrow, Terrell Lewis, Malik Harrison, Ben Barch, Troy Pride, Michael Pittman. But I think a lot of needs are met, and you've got some talented players. Terrell Lewis may, you know, uh, he's he's slated to be around that top a second in terms of overall talent. But uh, look, this this team needs to create turnovers. It needs to get to the quarterback. They play very talented quarterbacks in their division, and they need to get after them. And the the pressure was inconsistent. Uh, started to come on real, real great at the end of the year, John. But, uh, you know, I think that's why – yeah, you don't you don't like to go linebacker linebacker per se. Um, you know, depending on your thought of of Lewis, but you know if they can find ways to consistently get out of the get after the quarterback, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you've got two tackles, one of which may be able to kick into guard, and then you've got some help at corner and wide receiver. What do you think about that that draft? Just going back to Lewis again, like there might, there might be the the conventional wisdom of if he doesn't fit the defense or whatnot, but I think. Uh, another player like him, Jonathan Grenard, uh, who uh, the Bengals had practicing both at linebacker and at edge rusher. I think that goes in the same mindset of having guys who can play multiple positions in what is coined as a multiple defense, where depending on what they do in free agency with, at the linebacker position, those are going to be guys that I think you're going to see now targeted more by the Bengals. It was such a uncommon thing to see Marvin Lewis draft, you know, un- undersized edge rushers and undersized linebackers of, the, of, the, of that sort, but. This is Louis Anarumo's defense now. He knows the personnel that he has, and I think Lewis fits the mold of, of kind of what they would want. While Harrison is more of that traditional off-ball, weak-side linebacker, I think they have the mic that they want in Jermaine Pratt. It's just all about filling around him now and filling around the guys like Gino and, and Hubbard and Lawson. So putting the rest of that front seven t- together is going to be very important in this draft and in free agency, and depending on, again, what positions that they address in free agency is probably going to depend it's probably going to project what they do right after they pick Burroughs. So it's going to be that push and pull of are we going to address the front seven or are we going to build around Burroughs as much as possible with the way that this draft unfolded? I think this was the best way to go. Yeah, I, I the one thing I, I hesitate with is I, I do not know where the, – the Bengals will address wide receiver undoubtedly. I do not know how – how highly they they need that and i think obviously the aj green situation is going to tell them a lot but you know i part of me thinks that they'll wait like we did in this one and if they don't be especially if they've got green for another year and the depth of the the depth of the class the other part of me wonders you know are, are they going to are they going to try and surround burrow with a lot of weapons you mentioned you know in that passing chart you you showed us there was a lot of five wide receiver sets, multiple wide receiver sets, a lot of weapons out on the field at the same time so he could spread the ball out. Um, as the Bengals at least were comprised throughout much of the last season with who they had at their wide receiver core, that wasn't really something that would be available to Burrow. Um, you know, Tate was in and out of the lineup with some injuries. AJ Green was out of the lineup. John Ross was out of the lineup. Um, you know, it, so that's where I kind of wonder, okay, might they on night two 
go after a wide receiver, um, someone, to, you know, a Justin Jefferson or someone, someone of the like to, to really, you know, help them out. We'll see. But uh, overall, I think a lot of needs met. Um, maybe not the sexiest draft, especially when you go to defensive guys uh, in the second and third round. But I think overall uh, needs that were met and some value while you're there, um, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Yeah, and <laughs> we don't break news that much on this show, but I was just informed via Twitter that the Browns have hired Bengals quarterback coach Alex Van Pelt to be their offensive coordinator. I, I saw someone mention that, and that that's – yeah, I saw that, before, I think, a little bit during the show. Someone had mentioned that. Um, so that's interesting news, and uh, he has been a valuable guy to – the Bengals. He's been a he's been a, a guy that has he's worked with Aaron Rodgers, right, in Green Bay, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, a lot of people thought he did some good things with Dalton, not this year, but the year prior. So interesting move there, and um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? We got to get out of here in a minute, but what are your quick thoughts yeah. on that? That's that's very interesting. I think that Van Pell was the guy that they wanted to keep around for the rookie quarterback, so. In fact, he's going up north to be Kevin Stefanski's new office coordinator. Uh, that's that's now Ken Zampezi going up to going up to Cleveland or or and taking or going up somewhere else and taking an offensive coordinator job. That's that's uh, Bill Lazor now as the offensive coordinator for the Bears. So, the Bengals quarterback coach position, man, it's it's a great place to launch your career as I guess as a play caller. They they could have blocked that if they wanted to, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. So interesting that to one of their fiercest rivals, they they allowed that move. I mean it's kind of a goodwill gesture. You don't want to have to block someone to get as they get a move up um, somewhere else. And I, it's kind of a, one of those unspoken gentleman's rules. Right. But um, you know, I don't it's surprising to me that they allowed that to happen to a divisional rival. Um, but uh, good you know, for him, man. Like yeah. if you, if those jobs come available, I, I would advise anyone to take it. <laughs> uh, Keith so. Brewer says, so now we go after LSU's quarterback coach. I don't know exactly who he was referencing there, but their passing game coordinator was just hired as the, as the offensive coordinator in Carolina. Um, so he is not available. The, the hot name Brady there, uh, he, is, he is not available to come with that. So the Bengals have a coaching vacancy to fill. We'll see what they do there. It'll be interesting to see who they bring in for that. But fun stuff with the draft. We, we wish we could get to another one tonight, but it's just, it's going too long. We're going longer than expected anyway. So we will continue to do these. We won't do these every week because we don't want to over inundate everybody, but we will do probably a, a few of these up to the draft as things change, as player rankings change, the combine and all of that. So that way we get a better grasp on some of these guys and see where they, you know, kind of get a firmer view of where they will or should be around. But fun stuff, John. First time we've kind of done it that way on this program. Second mock draft, right? Yeah. And again, don't don't think this is a regular thing. Yes, we're not going to do this regularly. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Get the show how you can on any number of audio channels. Subscribe, leave a rating. We appreciate the feedback. Get to our YouTube channel. Do the same for all the video content, both from this show and Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. You can get it on the YouTube channel as well. All the stuff is on Cincy Jungle and our Cincy Jungle podcast channel. Thanks for tuning in. John, have a good rest of the week, buddy. You too as well, man. All right. Take it easy, everybody.
Hotel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts.